Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. We are starting off a Super Bowl Iceman and Coach with the one and only Nostra James to make his final pick of this, the 2023-24 NFL season. So, James, welcome. Say hello to Coach. Hello, Coach Brad. Okay. Hi, James. Yes. Are you ready to make the pick of all picks, my man? Yeah. All right. So, let's get started. I, 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 I just want to make one, one pick. You want to make one pick. Well, thankfully, there is only one pick to make. So you are only making one pick. And are you ready to get that pick on? Yes. 49ers. 49ers. Chiefs. Chiefs. Who's going to win? 49ers. Okay. We have the San Francisco 49ers. Now, we will say that James has been four for four during this playoff cycle. So... You don't bet against Patrick Mahomes, but clearly you don't bet against Nostra James here. So, James, are you ready to go downstairs and wait while Daddy does his show? And then we will go to Uncle Mike's for a Super Bowl party, okay? Okay. Tell everybody to have a great night. Have a great night, everybody. All right. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So, where were we, by the way? I think we were just kicking it off, my man. Super Bowl Sunday it is, my man. Welcome to a, a Sunday edition of Iceman and Coach. We just had Nostra James out here to pick games, and the coach and I are here to kind of chat it up for 45 minutes to an hour about the Super Bowl. How you doing, my man? Iceman, doing doing well. Uh, have We talked a little bit about the, the stress of my week that I've had. Um, yes. Just there was some buildup. I had to help with the wrestling tournament yesterday, and that actually went really well. It was nice to see... Nice to see a lot of the coaches that I've been around for years and years. So the kind of the stress was a little, maybe not warranted, but because once I was there, I really actually enjoyed being there. And it's nice to see those guys. And I kind of told them all, it's like a, it's like a family reunion. You know, once a year I get to get together with those guys and yuck it up with them a little bit. And so that was nice. And that's now in the past, looking forward, obviously, you know, we've kicked off Braves talk, which has been really exciting. Um, the results on the floor, not so much. I was about we'll to say, outside of we'll the results on the floor. <laughs> um, and then, you know, honestly, man, really, I'm starting to shift my focus into preparing for our trip to Charlotte, mm-hmm. uh, which is coming up very quickly. So looking forward to that. And obviously the Super Bowl today uh, cannot go unmentioned. No, it cannot go unmentioned. And it's funny, we're doing this on Super Bowl Sunday and I'm kind of footballed out. Like, I'm ready for some college basketball. And part of that's because we've been doing Braves Talk. So anybody who is watching or listening, if you're a Bradley fan and you haven't yet checked out Braves Talk, then I don't know how you found us, but welcome and definitely go check it out. But it's just time. I, I don't know. Like, the the length of the football season for me makes it so that I'm, like, a little tapped out. And we covered football tremendously this year with every single Friday, football Friday, college kickoff eve, and by the time we get around to it, the Super Bowl, it's like, I'm ready for it to be over. And it's sad. I don't usually feel that way, but I think maybe this is one of the unintended consequences of covering the sport so heftily. 
Yeah, uh, that definitely could be the case. I was wondering the same. This, this season just has seemed like it's been so long, and it is, right? I mean, September to February, and here we are. And then if you look into all the preseason stuff, now you're talking July and August with things firing up. So it, it definitely um, it doesn't seem as exciting as it did when we were kicking all this off in the fall, but a byproduct, I'm sure, of you know covering it weekly, sometimes multiple times a week. And uh, I, I wouldn't change that, though. Uh, it, it's been a blast, but like you said, kind of an unintended consequence. And I, it makes you wonder how the pros stay, and I mean that by like the professional broadcasters and media people, how they stay sort of locked in and engaged. And in most cases, they have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of reasons to do so. But um, we are, we're here just doing it right for the love of, uh, for the love of the game and for the love of creating content. Yeah, for sure. But it is exhausting. And we're getting into the Braves talk thing at the end. So we'll have a little bit of a reprieve and we'll get into the spring, summer time where there's just not as much content. At least it seems like there isn't as much, but maybe we'll have a good time. I just remember last year around this time, we were just getting started. And now we're a year into this. And if you go back, flashback to a year, it's pretty amazing what we had, I think seven or eight subscribers. We just hit over the 350 mark, so that's pretty incredible growth in a year's time, in my opinion. We've started a lot of new ventures. Some things have worked, some things haven't, and we've done a lot more live content, and I've been enjoying that myself. But what do you say we do for one final time this football season, get into some actual football talk? Yeah, I'm all about it, man. Like, uh, like we said, it's been a long time coming, and this is what one year ago was our first ever live stream. It was, together, and, yeah. And so, yep, yeah, it was our first live stream together with this show, uh, with the live Super Bowl show that we collaborated with some of the other shows on the network. And, uh, you know, here it's funny because it seemed like such a big deal, right, to be doing a live stream. And you did a ton of preparation for that with different segments and stuff and, and coordinating with those other shows. And here we are. It's just like 10 minutes. Second ago. nature. Second nature. <laughs> 10 minutes ago, because last year we did the, the Icy Awards. We did the Cacophony of Gas Bags and all that stuff. And we're going to do that. It's just Last time, there was three months of show to listen to to come up with some of these things. And now there's a year's worth of content. So it takes a little bit longer and we want to make sure that it's worth our while to do it. So we'll figure out a time that, and I don't know how you feel about this, we're producing as we're going along, but I feel like we almost need to come up with like a season finale at some point. Like, I don't know if the Super Bowl is that, but some type where we say, okay, here's where we're cutting it off and we're going to do sort of like a year in review look. What do you say? Yeah, I think that would be fun, man. I'd be down with that for sure. There's a lot, there's a lot of stuff, man. The roller, you know, we're thinking about football as a whole, right? The roller coaster that was Coach Prime. Um, obviously, my my own personal experience as a Notre Dame fan. A lot of optimism on your end as a Virginia Tech fan. The different storylines that have you know took place throughout the NFL season, and uh, you know, obviously the introduction of Taylor Swift out of that equation with the Chiefs, and you know, we're going to get more of that today, I'm sure. You know, there's no shortage of storylines or things to recap. So I think it would be a good idea and probably a lot of fun to sort of tie up all those loose ends, put a cherry on top and put the season away. And certainly making his debut in the cacophony of guest baggery will be your dad, Rick, after the last two episodes of Braves talk and then two losses in a row. So Rick is going to make his debut here when it comes to the bad takes that we have had. But you mentioned storylines and it's funny because I wasn't really into doing anything today. It's raining out here and you it's Sunday. Yeah, I don't know. There was something about not doing a show today that felt appealing. 
But now that we're here, and as, as I'm prepping for this, I realize I have a lot of passion, a lot of takes right now, because the NFL awards happened earlier this week. You and I texted about them, and I'm still hot about it. I'm still hot about a couple of them, and I want to get into a couple of them that I feel like I've been very vocal about on this show and in many platforms, and neither of them went the way that I thought that they should and thought that they would, and I'm ready to discuss it. And let's talk about the coach of the year. And I want to preface everything that I'm going to say with, I'm not sitting here telling you that the winners of these awards didn't deserve the awards that they got. It's just, I don't understand how they got them based off of the other folks that are in competition with them. So coach of the year, the Browns' Kevin Stefanski gets coach of the year. And when I think about it in a vacuum, I certainly can understand it. This is a team that had no quarterback until Joe Flacco came in. They had to bring in a 48-year-old Joe Flacco. They went, you know, they, they make the playoffs and, and everything is, it's a great story. But I just do not understand how a team that was projected to be pretty good, that has talent on it, especially with Deshaun Watson, is winning, the coach is winning this over D'Amico Ryan, who had a team that zero people, even in Houston, thought was going to be any good. A team that overperformed beyond expectations with a rookie quarterback, and they win the division. I just don't see how the two things are comparable. Injuries happen in football. I totally understand that. But one thing that you usually can't get over is the talent disparity. And I, I was confused as all hell. And maybe because I got emotionally attached to it, but I, I was like, there's no way you can tell me that Kevin Stefanski did a better coaching job than D'Amico Ryans did. Yeah, I don't know if they're looking at that from the viewpoint of they lost their starting quarterback and still found a way to make the playoffs, if that was the approach they were taking. Um, but I'm with you. D'Amico Ryan took a team that you said was had zero expectations by most uh, most accounts. You know they were expected to be one of the worst teams in the league, and with a rookie quarterback. I mean, and how often in history have we seen a rookie quarterback and a rookie coach uh, have the success that they had and and make it to the playoffs, win their division? Yeah, did, yeah they won the division, correct? They did, yeah. Ten and yeah, seven. I thought so. I just wanted to make sure that Jacksonville started creeping into my head. I'm like, wait a minute. No, no they won the division, and that's. I don't know if they think is. You know, did they give uh, um, Stroud the Rookie of the Year? Was yes. that was he? Okay, I didn't. I never saw that. I assumed so. So I don't know if they're like, well, you had the Rookie of the Year, so you know, you had that going for you. But I, I don't know how you count any of that against them. I think that they did what they did, despite the fact that he was a first year head coach, and despite the fact they had a rookie quarterback. Uh, I'm with you 100%. All right, so that's always good. We have lost Coach here, and he is with me 100% as it relates to the Coach of the Year Award. And again, I don't want to sit here and tell you that Kevin Stefanski wasn't deserving of the award or anything like that. It's just when you compare it to that story, I don't understand how Kevin Stefanski did a better coaching job. And even if you compare it to, let's take a Matt LaFleur, let's take a Dan Campbell. Matt LaFleur moving on from Aaron Rodgers, seemingly going to take a huge dip. The team was 9-8, and eight, made it to the playoffs, won a playoff game, nearly won a second over one of the teams in the Super Bowl, and I don't understand how that's not a better coaching job than Kevin Stefanski. Now, let me just be clear, every, every coach in the league mostly is doing a great job, but if you look at a lot of the teams in the league with rookie quarterbacks, I mean, the greatest coach of all time, most people would argue, Bill Belichick is no longer the coach of the New England Patriots because of how bad Mac Jones looked because of how bad the quarterback situation was. So to take a rookie who then wins rookie of the year and then you also win your division, it's just incredible to me. 
It's an incredible coaching job that feels like it didn't get enough credit. And I just don't understand it. And especially when you have, there he is, he's back again. I was just saying how there are so many coaches in the league who underperformed with quarterbacks that were better than C.J. Stroud. I mean, look at Bill Belichick, basically fired, right? Because Mac Jones was terrible. Bailey Zappi was terrible. Frank Reich didn't even make it the full season because Bryce Young and the Panthers looked so bad. I just don't understand. I don't know. Again, maybe I don't know. I don't know ball. Okay, I'll finally, I'll admit it. But Jesus, I feel like if he wasn't going to win the award, I I said Matt LaFleur with Jordan Love. They win a playoff game, almost win a second playoff game. Dan Campbell. Now, that team had a lot of expectations, but damn it, they played so well this year. And it just, I don't know. It just very much confused me. Who votes on this stuff? I don't know. So there's apparently a new voting system. And I want to talk about comeback player of the year as well, because that's kind of looped into this. Joe Flacco gets comeback player of the year. Okay, he's 39 years old. I get it. He's on the couch. Totally understand all of that. But he played six games. Six games. I get it. With a team that he wasn't on. But he's a veteran. He has been around the block. And Baker Mayfield, who played all season, led his team to a division title. Great stats. Oh, and by the way, won a playoff game by beating the defending NFC champions in a playoff game. And that's not enough? Like, he was third. I get DeMar Hamlin, okay, but as somebody said in the comment section about this, this isn't Make-A-Wish. Like, this is not a life award. It's a football award. And DeMar Hamlin played and had three tackles. He lived, and we should acknowledge that, but he also, to me, doesn't, like he, I don't know, it'd be one thing if he played half the season. But he had three tackles, and the last time we saw him was on a bad fake punt by the Bills in the playoffs. No, I hear you, and I know that's that's one that's probably going to rub people the wrong way, like having taken that stance, but I agree with you. I don't, um, in, in my mind, the qualifications for comeback player of the year would be to come back and you, are, you have a meaningful impact on uh, what's happening on the field in some way, shape, or form. And that's, again, it's not any disrespect to DeMar Hamlin. Like, I think that what he's done is incredible and it's worthy of acknowledgement and celebration of some kind. I don't know if if I think it fits within what I perceive to be uh, comeback player of the year criteria. Like, that would be, as you mentioned, I agree with you, Baker Mayfield, to me, fits that to a T. And I said to you offline, I don't know if it's the fact that Joe Flacco that the Jets, Joe Flacco and the Jets were so terrible together that they like they uh, they're basically the voters death. assume yeah the voters assume that wow like if you could take somebody that the Jets screwed up and make them look competent uh, that must mean that person is absolutely amazing and maybe that uh, that plays into the Kevin Stefanski coach of the year thing like if you could resurrect someone that the Jets ruined and then also you know if Flacco could overcome his his Jets tenure to come out and still be a productive uh, football player and, you know, lead, I hesitate to even say lead a team to the playoffs. Um, You know, he played the last five games of the regular season. He did really well in those games, but the dude, I mean, he played a third. Yes. Less than a third of the season. Right. And I, I, I just don't see how that, adds up so no, no shade at joe flacco no, by all it, accounts he seems like a tremendous person and everything else and what he did should be recognized and celebrated too but it doesn't fit the criteria in my opinion that's my problem is the criteria demar hamlin should be talked about in a different space than a football award in my opinion and i get it there have been people who've come back from injury but what he went through was far beyond anything that went on goes on in a football field right what happened to him was a life or death situation 
And there are so many factors that go into why, like why that is considered different than a football injury. And so it should be recognized in a different space, right? I'm even okay with them giving him Walter Payton man of the year in that respect, because it's like, hey, let's recognize him for being able to continue living in this world. But he did not really play this year. And he didn't even suit up for some of the games. And that's the part where I'm like, I don't see that as as a reason why he should get the award. But one of the reasons why Joe Flacco won is because the voting system takes into account first, second, and third place votes. And so DeMar Hamlin had significantly more first place votes, as we thought that he would, over Joe Flacco. But because Joe Flacco had more second place votes, the disparate, like the, the aggregate of all that made it so that he won the award. And I don't know how I feel about that because I feel like you vote for a guy and stick with him. Like this first, second, and third place stuff feels like we're getting close to participation award. Yeah, I agree. And that's what's interesting. I think it should just be purely off first place votes. You know, who do you think is the player of the year? Number one, period. It does seem weird that it's a cumulative count across the first, second, and third. And I don't know like if I would go to participation i mean maybe in a sense of the way that you know like the bar hamlin to me in a sense it's like well just the fact that he was participating it was viewed as qualifying him for um comeback player of the year and again not diminishing what the guy did at all whatsoever i just think that the person should be someone who's actually like playing and contributing um on the field in a meaningful way so so weird. I, I would be fascinated to find out who it is that's, that's voting on these things. And if there are sort of, uh, if those people are given like a set criteria, like based off these these metrics, who do you think, you know, this person is? Yeah, I don't know. So I'd like to welcome our Pacific Northwest friend to the feed. Haven't seen you in a bit. I would not expect you to be at Bradley Basketball Talk, but hey, it is what it is. And we will be watching the game tonight. I'll be going to a family's house to watch the game. And I'm sure Brad will be watching the game somewhere with his kids circling around him in some form or fashion and trying to keep it together so that he can at least somewhat watch the game. But we're going to get into some game talk a little bit later. And we haven't met since the conference championship round. So I want to briefly get into how we got to this place here. Let's talk about the AFC and the MVP who was voted Lamar Jackson and the Ravens lose at home to Kansas City. Lamar Jackson didn't play all that particularly well, but there was a lot of factors that kind of went into that. And I don't know how you experienced this game, but I experienced it as Lamar Jackson and the Ravens not having a good game plan, going away from the things that got them where they were to that point, and Patrick Mahomes just being that damn guy. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what I took away from it. Yeah, I thought so, too. Um, The Ravens, you know, what they were, what, one of the top, if not the top rushing team in the league, and they really struggled to consistently run the football. They abandoned it, basically. And then they got to the point, yeah, where they completely abandoned it outright, which was interesting. And then just totally, like, just a plethora of um, self-imposed mistakes, lack of discipline, penalties that really shot him in the foot and killed him. And I don't think those were what, you know, we were, what people, the public is expecting as far as, like, Chiefs. Uh, people favoring the Chiefs, the refs favoring the Chiefs. I mean, a lot of these were just flat-out penalties uh, because of a lack of discipline against the Ravens. And yes, um, and it was really frustrating to watch because you're like, guys, like, can you just get it together? Can you keep your head in the game? This is for a trip to the Super Bowl. And the things that they were doing are were such 
immature errors and mistakes that it was really, really frustrating. And then you, know, you put Lamar in a position to try to do too much, and that's not a recipe for success either. And like you said, Patrick Mahomes, man, he is him. There's no way around it. And he is. He's the modern-day Tom Brady, I'll say it. I would actually say that, and I just said it an hour ago to my dad, he's more skilled than Tom Brady ever was and at an earlier part in his career. But what will be fascinating is when Travis Kelsey moves on, how the roster changes sort of make it so Patrick Mahomes' career, like, will will he be able to be the guy every single year without somebody on their roster that's top-tier talent? That will be fascinating. But he just is, man. And he didn't even have a particularly good game in the fact that it was not an eye-popping stat day, but he did what the greats always do, just enough to win. And that throw to MVS to seal the game, a guy who has dropped a couple of touchdowns this year to lose them football games, and Patrick Mahomes has faith in the guy. But the other thing I took away from the Ravens as well is Lamar Jackson felt a little too comfortable being a pocket passer in this game. Didn't take what the defense was giving him, even rushing for three or four yards. Like, that's one of his strengths. If it's not there with your arm, you use your legs. That's what got him the MVP. It's what's gotten him to high success in the NFL, and they just didn't do it. And my hypothesis is that there are some teams, like the Ravens are a swaggy team. Now, when I say this, I know it's it comes off like there's some racial component to it, but it's like overly swaggy teams a lot of times, if they get punched in the mouth, like the Chiefs open the game driving down the field and scoring. It quieted the crowd, and if they can't do what they've always done, teams like that historically have gotten undisciplined. And that's when you see the Zay Flowers taunting penalty. I understand that players taunt all the time. It's a stupid rule, whatever. But it is a rule in that moment, and it costs them. I don't even fault him for trying to reach for the end zone, although from what I understand, and you as a coach can talk to this, you teach players not to reach for the end zone unless the game is on the line. Like at that point, reaching for the end zone did nothing for them because it was going to be first and goal from what, the one? And... They were going to have four chances to get it in with the MVP, took the ball out of his hands. Undisciplined in many ways. The the spearing penalty that, that happened a little bit, uh, on, I think it was on Kelsey, just undisciplined because they were not used to being unable to do what they've always done and they could not adapt and win the way they had to, which was any means possible. The Chiefs, on the other hand, can do that. Yeah, and it's really hard to get a player to um, not to get playmaking type players to not try to make a play in the moment with like reaching for the end zone, things like that. And I can see both sides of that debate because you're not guaranteed that you're going to punch it in from the one. Um, so take the points if you can get them, but at the same time, you have to know, you know, know the situation and you know, you should trust your offense and the MVP that you know, you're going to punch it in. And no one's ever doing that with the intention of turning the ball over. And so it is tough to to be – That's out of all the things they did, that's the one I personally would probably be the least critical of because in the moment it's just the playmaker trying to make a play for his team. And I, I don't view it as selfish really. Just be, you know, I, I can't say that I wouldn't have done the same thing in that situation. Yeah, exactly. It's just a lot of people were honing in on that. He had a lot of mistakes. Now what happened after that? when he slams his helmet down and cuts his hand, isn't available. That's the maturity type stuff. And he's a rookie. Yeah, that's that's just, that's stupid. It is. Yeah, I, I agree. Immature behavior. I agree. And that's the kind of thing that hopefully Zay Flowers, who obviously extremely talented, 
was emerging as their number one threat, hopefully will learn as they go on. But it cost them the game. So the Chiefs go in, they win two road games in a row, and Mahomes hasn't played a road game at all. And not really like a ton of questionable calls for the Chiefs, because remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago about how it seems like they always get a beneficial call at the right time. I felt like they didn't really get a lot of that in this game. And we do have a comment that we're going to get to when we preview the actual game. But you talked about game situations, so let's talk about Dan Campbell. The Lions in the first half were just blowing the doors off the 49ers. In the second half, 49ers come back and ultimately seal the game. And the entire criticism was on the Dan Campbell decisions to go forward on fourth down. And I've gone, or I had gone back and forth so many times about this, and even you admitted to that. Like in the moment thinking, gosh, why don't you take the points? And honestly, I think that people were honing too much into those decisions when the Lions lost because of an aggregate series of events that got them to that point. And I think that that just happens sometimes. I think Everybody would be saying how great Dan Campbell is if they got one of those first downs, which one of them was a drop, right? And then you had fumbles. These things aggregate on themselves. Go ask Dan Quinn, new coach of the Washington Commanders, how he feels about that when they were up 28-3 against New England seven years ago. Yeah, there were a lot of drops, if I recall, by the Lions in the second half. And I remember I said to you, when the 49ers got within a score and they were kicking off to the Lions, I said, this is going to tell us everything we need to know about the Lions. Like, are they going to come downfield, put some points on the board, and take back control of this game, or are they going to crumble under the pressure of the of the moment? And then I don't know if it's the first or second play they fumbled of the series. They fumbled, and, yes. and at that point, I knew that uh, they were broken at that point in time. And I feel like I've been pretty uh, consistent all along about Dan Campbell's philosophy and his style, and I I respect the guy for sticking to his his philosophy and he didn't change that in that moment um he hasn't all year and it's sort of that like you know dance with who brung you sort of thing like this is what got us to this point we're going to keep playing that way and it's, it's what we're about i probably even if it would have been successful i don't know i, I think i would have been more critical of him if all of a sudden you get in the nfc championship game and you, you change the way you're um you change your philosophy towards those things and uh and maybe that's just viewed as unintelligent maybe people would argue that um, you've got to be able to read the room and adapt to the to the situation and there, there's probably some truth in, in making that argument but overall the the lions have i think dan campbell is just crushed because he's like it's so hard to just get to this point you know it's so hard to get here it's going to be even harder to get back here and now officially you know the lions have arrived yes and they're going to play a first place schedule next year and we'll see what we'll really see what they're made of if they have if that franchise and Dan Campbell has any staying power. They're not going to surprise anybody anymore. They're not no. lovable losers anymore. They are winners, and teams have a difficult time making that transition. The Eagles last year, we thought were beneficial or benefited from a very easy schedule, and a lot of people thought that maybe they weren't as good as they actually were. Fast forward to this year. Things didn't go nearly as well. They were an 11-win team, but things didn't go nearly as well this year. And that's going to be the difference next year. But I think the only thing about Dan Campbell that I will say is, yes, I think you should ride out what you did to get you to that point. But I think that there may have been a point in the game where did Dan Campbell look at his guys and realize that they were broken? And was that was that reason for him to make a decision one way or the other? Like, did he think... These guys are broken. If we give the ball back, I don't think they're going to be able to stop them. So let's go for it. Or is it a, 
maybe we take some points and try to at least do something here, try to make it stop. But ultimately, again, it's a series of events that takes place. And so often we get on the one decision that is made and it's an aggregate of decisions. There's so many things that have to go right for you to get there and it just didn't go their way. And what we'll be telling is, is it a learning experience? If they start like one and two or one and three next year, then I think you can question whether the players on the team have the emotional makeup to to come back from something like that. But I'm going to give Dan Campbell the nod here because he obviously can coach his ass off with what he was given, how they started, and where they were last year. So you got to have faith. No, you're right. And uh, you know, to your questions about how he maybe handled those moments, if he was able to look at his team and see that they were struggling a little bit, and you know, what could he do to maybe try to stop the bleeding? And that is a tough decision to make because it's like, all right, if we get this first down, like, you know, maybe we're back on track. But I could also see the argument to be made for what if we take the points here and you know just uh, just get a little bit of positivity going back in our, back in our direction and in our favor. And then I'm sure at that point too, he's just trying to he's going forward on fourth down also to probably try to keep his defense off the field for yeah. a little while. Yep, because they were on the field a bunch um, in the in the second half, and so uh, it's really really easy for all of us to look back right and and pick things apart and question it. Uh, it yep. was it was painful to watch though because I could just feel the I could feel the the pain of Detroit of the Lions fans and and even just the team. It's like they they had given everything they had to get to that point, and and it all fell apart in thirty minutes. Really, you know, quickly thirty minutes of football, it just came crashing down, and it's tough, man. I think if you could ask them if they just would have rather got the Dorn blows off of them from the beginning, they would probably have taken that other than being on that roller coaster ride. Yes, and the last thing that I'll say about this is when we talked about Lamar not giving what the defense is or taking what the defense is giving you and not doing what you have to do to win, Brock Purdy used his legs in this game. He did the thing that we thought Lamar Jackson would do. And I think while Brock Purdy may not be elite, even if they win, Cam Newton gave him a lot of shit because he said you're the 10th best guy on the team. But you know what? That's fine. I think Brock Purdy is okay with that. But he, what we learned about Brock Purdy is that we know that he's capable of it. But what we don't know is how consistently he'll be able to do it. But what we, we learned a lot about Brock Purdy, in my opinion, in this game because he did what he had to do to win. Made big throws, got first downs with his legs, put himself on the line, right, his body on the line. Those are the things that everybody's been questioning. And you know what, man? I think he we can finally get rid of the game manager thing because this is the way it was put to me, was a game manager is a mentality that you don't want to be the guy who's responsible for why we lost. Brock Purdy does not have that mentality, in my opinion. He does not make decisions thinking that he doesn't want to be the guy who ruins it for his team. And I think that's why he's not a game manager. We're not saying he's Tom Brady, but I think we can get rid of the stink of the connotation that game manager is a negative because Brock Purdy has some balls. He does. I agree. And He's shown that, you know, through the way he played that game. And he was a playmaker, right? Um, and he wasn't playing not to lose. He was playing the game to win. And a game manager is a guy that, like you said, just don't cost us the game. And, um, you know, he played aggressively and, and with purpose. And that's not necessarily something you see out of the game manager type. And one thing, one adjustment that the 49ers made in the second half is they went under center a lot more instead of out of the shotgun. And I think that, that helped them tremendously because yes, you can still run play action out of the, out of shotgun, but it's not nearly as deceptive because both players are facing the defense, and so it's not nearly as deceptive as it is if you're under center. Once they went under center in the second half, Detroit really struggled to stop them, and it, it 
yeah, you take away some possibilities when you go from a shotgun under center, but it does improve your play action game and <clears throat> gives you some other options, some more downhill options in the run game that could be uh, be more successful depending on what you're seeing defensively. So I thought that was a really good move by Kyle Shanahan and his staff to make that adjustment in the second half because it was very obvious that it made a huge difference. I agree with you on that. So let's get to today's game. And one of the comments that we had a little earlier was that this person has no interest in this game and this matchup because of these teams and feeling like the calls are going to be one-sided. And that's not an uncommon feeling coming into this game that the matchup is unappealing in a general sense from like the general public and even from some football people. Now, I'm of the person or or the thought train that I don't really care as long as the game is good. I mean, of course, storylines matter. Like it would have been awesome to see Ravens-Lions or even the Lions in this game facing the Chiefs to bookend the season. It would have been great. But I think that overall, as long as the game is good, I'm pretty much a happy camper. But our commenter, obviously being a Seahawks fan, I can understand the 49ers not being all that interesting coming from that division. And would you agree that the Chiefs have kind of become a, a team that has some fatigue because they've been so successful? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, they have. And I think there's a few different angles that people are going to view this game from. Obviously, you have your diehard fans of both teams, right, that are rooting for their team. But then nationally, for the most part, I think there is a strong anti-Chiefs narrative nationally amongst the public um, outside of your Taylor Swift, the, the segment of people that have come along uh, as a result of Taylor Swift. And then the 49ers, they're really not, they're not polarizing really in, in either direction. They're, they seem, there's, there's, they don't really have any characters. Um, they don't have like the celebrity factor that the Chiefs have going for them in different ways. And uh, so they kind of are just on the surface appear very boring. I was going to say, in that sense. are they boring? Yeah. I mean, they kind of come across as boring. And the, the biggest storyline to me is that. Um, is the Brock Purdy thing, right? The Mr. Irrelevant, uh, you know, shaking this game manager deal. And yeah, and, you know, Christian McCaffrey, I, I agree, class act. And I don't know if you've seen any of the the things that have been out there about the connections that, that exist in this game from um, yes. Mike Shanahan, one of Mike Shanahan's Broncos teams to this team mm-hmm. with Christian McCaffrey's dad was on that Broncos team. Um, the, and of course, I'm not going to think of the names, but one of the, one of the defensive coaches there's like was four connections. a player on the team. Yeah, there's like four connections to that game where people that were involved with Denver are either involved in this game or family members of people. Anthony and Lynn, so, also former yeah, Chargers yep. coach. Yep. And so uh, that's really that's kind of an interesting storyline. But for me, yeah, outside of seeing uh, Christian McCaffrey get one would be nice. And then just you you kind of have the antithesis of two players between Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes. And you know you've got the the guy with all the commercials and the celebrity and Patrick Mahomes, and then you've got uh, you know the farm boy that went to Iowa State um, and Brock Purdy that was the last guy taken in the draft, and he's he's gotten this game manager thing thrown at him all year long, and here we are. So it, it's sort of the showdown of those two ends of the spectrum, which is fascinating. You know, there's other little matchups you could look at. Obviously, two really good tight ends and George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, and uh, you know, two you have Andy Reid who is you know, kind of, you know, probably obviously on the back end of his career here could is in the conversation of greatest coach of all time, at least. And then you have the up and coming Kyle Shanahan, who obviously has pedigree because of his father and stuff, but has his future um, has a long future ahead of him in this league and trying to establish himself as being a future great and, and being held in that conversation and the same uh, world as the Andy Reeds and Bill Belichick's of the 
you know, of the world. So there's, we can create some storylines for sure that you can find interesting, but yeah, on the surface, I, I don't have a dog in the fight necessarily. I'm not going to be, uh, feel one way or the other, depending on what happens. It's, it's not really going to impact, impact me in that way. But like you said, I'm rooting for a good football game. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. Yes, I agree. And I think if you're looking at these teams coming in, you talk about the Chiefs. And to me, there's two things that set the Chiefs apart. Their defense, which I think was massively underrated this year when you look at it in the grand landscape of defenses. And this defense is balled out during the playoffs this year. And some of their some of their safeties, some of their defensive backs are just incredible in the secondary. And of course, you got the Patrick Mahomes factor where he can do anything at this point. The motivation is there. I, I get the sense that Kelsey is playing like this could be his last season because I think he was probably more hurt this year than he has been. He's getting up there in age. What else does he have to prove? New relationship, all these sorts of things. But I think with Mahomes back there, anything is possible. And he took his lumps in the Super Bowl against Tampa, obviously, and since then has come back and they seem to always do what they have to do. On the other side of it with the 49ers, they're obviously top to bottom, are, I think, are more talented. But again, the Brock Purdy factor, which Brock Purdy is going to be here. Are the Chiefs going to be able to put some pressure on him, give him some different defensive looks? Is he going to do the same thing that he did against the Lions? The Chiefs are probably not going to do what the Lions did and shit the bed in the second half. They're going to be more consistent. I think those are the factors that I think about coming into this game. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree with you. You're right on about the Chiefs defense and you know how well they have performed. Uh, definitely, they've played better than sort of the the narrative has uh, has given them credit for, which I think is really interesting. And I don't know if you heard about this at all, but I saw some stories this week to where there were some complaints about um, the fact that the Chiefs were getting to use the Raiders facilities. The 49ers were at UNLV, and there was some discussion about the quality of the turf and the hardness of the turf at UNLV uh, being outside of the NFL standards of what they would consider safe and everything else. And it was like it just started that whole, you know, it fueled, flamed, uh, flamed the fire that is the pro chiefs narrative in some way, which I found really interesting. But is that legitimate to you? Because the 49ers had the fire alarm pulled and McCaffrey and George Kittle or Bosa both said something about it. And a lot of people were saying you can't use an excuse while also saying no excuses. But wouldn't you be pissed if the fire alarm went off while you're out in the it, for the most important game of your season? And it does seem like, again, not a conspiracy theorist or anything, but it does seem like these things seem to follow the teams that play the Chiefs in the biggest games and in the Super Bowl, because this is not the first time this has happened. And it won't be the reason 49ers lose. They'll lose it on the field. But I, I agree. Like, these these things seem to follow the Chiefs. And if the NFL should want to have these, these teams at the same facilities or at least equivalent facilities, and to me, if you have such a disparity in the quality of the facilities, that doesn't mean that you're going to have the best game. And isn't that the whole point? The whole point you have the Super Bowl in a dome or in a warm weather climate is so that you have a great, perfect, ideal situation for the best game possible. And if that's not the case, then what the hell is the NFL doing? I agree. That's what I was thinking as you said that. If you want to talk about making it as neutral as possible, then you need to do that in, in every facet of the game. And if that means, even if that means eventually finding like a permanent home for the Super Bowl that has basically identical facilities, 
when it comes to where you're practicing, where you're working out, rehab uh, facilities, uh, and even as far as like hotels, uh, accommodations, your your length of your trip to your practice facility from where you're staying. I mean, they should literally just create the perfect equal environment for both teams and just create it somewhere. Smack it somewhere right in the middle of the country, Super Bowl world. That's where it is. And uh, there's got to be a place that would work. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there are. And and maybe that was a little short-sighted by the NFL looking at Las Vegas. And I had heard um, an interview that came out sometime in the last week or two from Joe Buck saying that he expected that there would be some sort of bad storyline or something bad that would happen in Vegas that would lead to the Super Bowl never being in Vegas again. Uh, like, like a Vegas-fueled problem that would occur uh, in some way that would put a black eye on this. Well, Vegas is an interesting city. We've talked about it before on the show about how the Oakland A's are going to be moving to Vegas. And obviously they have a hockey team now. The NBA, I think, wants to get out in Vegas. I think you and I even debated whether the NBA has an appetite for that. And I think that they do. But Vegas itself, from an infrastructure perspective, is not a huge city. It doesn't have a lot of the niceties that these other cities that have hosted big events have. And while it right now represents the epicenter of sports because of sports betting and and everything, it's not necessarily equipped to handle this. And I find this fascinating. I mean, didn't Indianapolis get a lot of shit when they had the Super Bowl? Because, or I think they had a Super Bowl, didn't they, at Lucas Oil Field when it was relatively new? Because, oh, it's a small city in the Midwest, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I think it might have been better capable of handling a Super Bowl than Las Vegas because they've handled Final Fours. How many times? Right, exactly. And then like, I know at one point in time, this I'm sure this has been remedied since then, but uh, one of the first times they had it in Jacksonville, the teams were literally were having to bring like cruise ships in to the ports there for rooms. Uh, whether it's for, I'm, I'm assuming they, those were probably reserved for like guests, just general people, not the teams. I'm sure the teams got five star hotels or whatever the case may be. But uh, you know, it's it is definitely interesting to consider all the things that are needed to put on a good a good show and a good environment for the Super Bowl. That's all that I want. You know, is is like. I want the Super Bowl to be as good as possible and both teams to get a fair shake. And I'm not I'm not blaming the NFL at all, but we do have a prediction in here, Dave, of political football. If you haven't gone to follow them, please do on YouTube and in podcasting. But he has San Francisco 31 and the Chiefs 21. Dave, you should know, James, at the beginning of this broadcast, picked the 49ers over the Chiefs, and he is 4-0 during this playoff season. So I think that bodes well for you, my man. But if there's keys to the game, in my opinion, I think getting pressure on Brock Purdy is definitely one of them because if he doesn't have or if he has time to throw and all of his weapons are healthy and able to get open, they're a very dangerous football team. And if you smack him in the mouth, make sure you keep him down. And I think the Chiefs defense is going to be 100% responsible for making that happen. I think offensively for the Chiefs, the drops. They have not had them happen in the playoffs, and now would be the worst time for them to to start happening. But if Mahomes has to have less faith in his receiving crew than he has had in these playoffs, now Kadarius Tony's not playing, so thankfully that's an offsides penalty they won't have to worry about. But I think those are the keys of the game for me. And what do you think? No, I'd say those are pretty spot on. Did you see the uh, there was an interview of Kadarius Tony like it? one of the media availability oh, yeah. deals. And oh, they yeah. asked him if he thought he was a number one receiver. And he's like, well, yeah, if I get the ball thrown to me, 
or something along those lines. It's like, come on, man. He's an interesting case study that we should do one time in the offseason because Dave has had a lot of opinions on him about where he was drafted based off of his metrics in college and everything and didn't really do anything with the Giants, gets traded to the Chiefs, has had some moments. He scored a touchdown in each of the last two Super Bowls, I think, or at least one of the last two Super Bowls that he's played in. And maybe it was last year, I can't remember, but I know he scored last year. But yet he's also caused a ton of problems with offsides and drops and just general, I hate to break it this way, stupidity out there on the field. And clearly they have decided that he's just not worth the hit, the headache, even though he scored in last year's Super Bowl. Like, they're good. And that tells you something about him. But he also clearly has had enough talent to be out there that Mahomes has given him the ball. But I'll tell you what, man, if you, like, you can lose everybody in that locker room, but if you lose Mahomes, you're so done. Oh, for sure. And Andy Reid's not going to put up with any nonsense he's, Shenanigans. he's past that point he's past that point in his career where absolutely if you don't want to if you don't want to get on board then just get out of the way <laughs> but also Andy Reid to speak about the coaches right Andy Reid not that long ago we all said he couldn't win the big one and now he's in the conversation for one of the greatest ever and Kyle Shanahan has had the I don't know the narrative that he can't win the big one and last or two weeks ago went a long way to shaking that off but Winning a Super Bowl puts him in elite company, and this is not a stat of the week, but it's just a fun stat that he and his dad would, I think, be the first father-son duo to win a championship in all four major sports here in the United States, which is which is pretty awesome. And there's a lot at stake for these guys. Andy Reid, I don't think it really matters if he loses this one. He has won two. I think his his legacy is just fine, and he has said that he's not ready to retire, so that's what he says. And there he, goes my Belichick theory. Uh, what? Well, no, that's not a theory that it's just yours. I think it's a pretty common theory. Who? How do we don't know? He he says that it's not it's not time, but you never know. And I think that, but it, Shanahan I think needs this more for his legacy because I think we've heaped a lot of praise on him about being a great coach. But getting that ring that's what sets you apart from everybody else. And no matter how great you are, if you never get there. It hurts when you talk about all-time legacy. It, you're right, and it, it's funny. It makes me think of another thing I saw this week, which was I think Joel Klatt was talking about answering the question of is it harder to win a national championship in college football or win a Super Bowl? And he came out and said it's it's harder to win a national championship, uh, and, you know, because he looked at you know he broke it down over the last however many years, and he said you know over the last like six years, eight years or something, only like three different coaches have won the national championship or, or something like that. And where over the last however many years of the Super Bowl, we've had several different coaches, you know, way more coaches have won the Super Bowl in a 10 year time frame than coaches have won a national championship. And so I thought that that was sort of an interesting way that, you know, I don't know if that, I mean, I guess that's a very simple way to try to like answer the question as far as which one's more difficult. Um, you know, I, because I think there's less there's less talent disparity in the NFL, so that's why I think that it's probably easier to put yourself in a position to do it as opposed to college football. It's sort of the have and the have-nots, and once you get to the top, that top tier, it's really hard to knock a team off from there because they're just going to reload, reload, reload when there's not a there's no salary cap or anything else. Now I do think that the transfer portal in NIL has sort of maybe is one of the positives out of it. In my opinion is I think it has is helped create a little bit of parity uh possibly because you're going to have better players go elsewhere to start instead of sit and wait for their turn in an alabama or somewhere like that but um you know that that's one thing that i did find uh 
really interesting. And and I do think that it is. It's it's important for Kyle Shanahan. This would sort of um, solidify, you know, that that he is amongst that top tier of coaches. And I am interested to see the uh, you know this is a matchup between two really bright offensive coaches, right? Two offensive gurus, if you will. You got the OG and Andy Reid, and then obviously the the younger guy and uh, Kyle Shanahan. So we'll see kind of which style wins out at the end of the day. Yes, we will at 6 o'clock. So before Coach gives his pick for who is going to win this game, I have a little something for you. Iceman stat of the week to get us into the Super Bowl. So this is a really fun one about the Super Bowl. In the last 30 years, every time the Super Bowl has been played in between the two teams playing. So one team traveling east, another one traveling west. The team that is traveling west has won all of them. Wow. That's freaking interesting. So 2002 was in New Orleans. That was the Rams-Patriots. That was the Patriots' first one. The year after was in San Diego, was between Oakland, that's kind of in between, and Tampa, Tampa won. And then 2006 was Pittsburgh, Seattle, that was played in Detroit, Pittsburgh won. Pittsburgh won again over Arizona, that was the uh, the, the catch, the toe-tap catch in the end zone, that was played in Tampa. Baltimore, when they beat San Francisco in the Harbaugh Bowl, that was in New Orleans. Patriots two times when they played in Glendale and then in Atlanta against the Rams and the Seahawks, they won both. So this would be the Kansas City Chiefs. Can the well the curse of this break? I guess Chiefs are traveling west, and that bodes well for the old Kansas City Chiefs. That's miserable if you're you know Seattle or that's you know, right. What are the L A. What are the L A. teams or even mm-hmm. San Francisco? Like <laughs> what what can you do unless they play the Super Bowl in Hawaii one year? I know um, it's it's just <laughs> those little things have like they have absolutely no bearing on the game, right? It's just total coincidence. But it's funny. Where it's like, wow, can you believe that? What, like seven Super Bowls where a team has traveled west has won when the site is geographically in between one where you've got two teams that are traveling from different directions? Uh, to me, that's hilarious. But it has no bearing on the game. But just it's one of those weird things you have to think about. Oh, absolutely. All right, buddy. Are you ready to do it one last time? <laughs> yes. It has been a really long time since we have heard that, and we don't have a graphic. It has been so long. I don't even remember what your record was, so we're not even going to do records here. It is the game of games, and it is Coach's Pick of the Week. I think you were still on a losing record, but you had had like seven wins in a row when football season started. It doesn't matter. We're resetting the clock. It's the Super Bowl. So, Coach, please bless us with who is going to win the Super Bowl. <clears throat> hear ye, hear ye. Like you said, it has Love been it. a while, my friends. <clears throat> I had to dust off the scrolls in order yes. to drop some knowledge on you football fans here today. Yes. We have the Kansas City Chiefs, as you mentioned, traveling west to Las Vegas to take on the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers are a one-and-a-half-point favorites against the defending Super Bowl champions, legendary coach, legendary quarterback, so on and so forth with the Chiefs. That being said, folks, the winner today, I, the Kansas City Chiefs are plus one and a half point underdog. I'm not even going to bother with taking the spread. 
I don't think you can bet against the Chiefs in this situation. The Kansas City Chiefs outright to win the Super Bowl this evening. Wow, you went against Nostra James on this pick. He has been right more times than not over the last year. Just so everybody knows, my son started picking games with last year's Super Bowl where he picked the Chiefs to beat the Eagles. And since then, he went 16-8 and picking games of random significance, but has been 4-0 and in the playoffs. But Coach has the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes straight up over the old 49ers. Coach, so let it be written, so let it be done. Now, now I have to say, I wrote that down before we even started that I was going to pick the Chiefs. So, like, and I, I made myself stick to it because I, I am an even though the, the 49ers are not underdogs, I am an underdog guy. So, I think I'm really actually I'm going to be pulling for for Brock Purdy. I think, but I'm also going to try to force myself to appreciate greatness. I think a lot of times as sports fans, we get caught up in the narratives of disliking the team that's at the top of the mountain, but when you've got a great coach like Andy Reid and you can't deny the greatness of Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to try to just appreciate greatness, man. Like that's, that's really what I'm going to try to do this evening. It's hard to do it. And Todd, who is one of our Bradley listeners and, and watchers, is talking about how all of the angry white men are going to be pissed off over Taylor Swift. But it is what it is, my man. She brings a lot that's of the females true. to the yard. But I agree. I, I'm kind of with him. Like, I love seeing people melt down over a celebrity that doesn't care about them, doesn't even know they exist. How do I feel about this game? I'm not here to overstep on on Coach's pick of the week, but I also agree it's hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes. And until he proves to me that he can't win in just about every single circumstance out there, I'm going to roll with old Patty Mahomes. So you and I are going against James. And you know what? If he ends up being right, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Like, we're going to we're going to do something else with his career, get him into a fan duel account and just start having him pick random, random games. Cut him loose. And yes, cut him loose. And he's going to do my NCAA tournament bracket. And speaking of that, we mentioned at the top that we started Braves talk for all of the Bradley University basketball talk. And the Braves are heading into their postseason very, very soon with Arch Madness coming up. So we're looking forward to that. Brad and I are going to be in Charlotte for the first round, first and second round of the NCAA tournament. During March Madness, we're very, very excited for that. We're going to have some content rolling for you live from Charlotte. And then after that, it's baseball season. We're going to try and keep up with all the sports, with the Masters and everything going on. And it's just been a good ride during football season, but all good things must come to an end. So before we sign off, do you have anything you want to tell the old loyal listeners and fans? No, it was nice to get back to doing a little Iceman and Coach show, talk a little bit of football here, excited about the Super Bowl. It'll be fun just to see what storylines come out of it as a result. And other than that, thank you, everybody, man. Appreciate it as always. And uh, enjoy the game. Couldn't have said it better myself. Stay safe, everybody. I hope this finds everybody well. And we'll see you for Braves Talk tomorrow night. This is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell, 
and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.